number seven. I'm your host, Kay Fresh, and we got a great interview here today. Uh, someone who really inspired me to do this podcast, uh, the world-renowned heavy metal rock radio DJ, Eddie Trunk. Uh, for those who don't know who Eddie Trunk is, um, currently he has a radio show on Sirius XM. He's been in the music biz for about 30 years now. During his early years with Megaforce Records, he was responsible for uh, signing Metallica and Anthrax and a whole slew of other talent, and even reviving the career of Ace Frehley from KISS. Also, Eddie Trunk is the host of That Metal Show on VH1 Classics, along with comedians Don Jameson and Jim Florentine, and they're up to 14 seasons now. But his podcast uh, that's going on right now, the Eddie Trunk Podcast, is undoubtedly one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because I was listening to it every week, and I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I want to do, and I want to do it in this medium. It was great to talk with him. We talked about his career and just kind of like the trajectory of certain things in the music industry. So uh, let's get to the interview with Eddie Trunk. <laughs> Mm-hmm. When you do these live gigs, uh, what do you do during them? Well, they're they're loose interpretations of uh, our our TV show, although they are not, and we're, we're very clear about telling people this so that they are not uh, surprised in any way. But they are not tapings of the TV show. Uh, they are not based on guests or musicians or anybody playing. Um, There's they're they're more uh, like a stand-up comedy show. Um, Don and Jim both do, uh, as, as many people know, and some people maybe don't, but Don and Jim are, are stand-up comics for a living. That's what they've done their whole career. And they will do sets of stand-up comedy that uh, some of it loosely revolves around the show and about music. Some of it doesn't, but it's a you know, little bit of a mix. Uh, I come out and host and tell some funny stories. And then we all come out together, and we do Q&A with the audience, and then we end with Stump the Trunk and give away prizes. So it's a loose, it's kind of a loose version. There's elements of the TV show in the sense that it's all three of us, and that we're all kind of out there together at times, and we do take questions from the, the crowd. We do do Stump the Trunk. But outside of that, it's, you know, I do some stories about the show. Don and Jim do some stand-up, some of which is about the show and music. Some of it isn't. So it's a little mix of everything. Um, but what it is not, which we're always clear about with people, is not a taping of the show. There's no, if there's music, it's, it's the, there, there's opening acts that the promoter puts on that we don't have anything to do with. But our end of it is just simply doing that. It's basically um, a mix of kind of like a Q&A uh, storytelling show, but also with stand-up comedy as well. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We've been doing them for a while, and it's a good way to get out and connect with people while the show is on hiatus. And, uh, you know, it's very natural for Don and Jim, obviously, being comics. And uh, I, I actually have been doing these myself as well for a long time. I even do a version of it by myself, uh, which is more of a, you know, a speaking show. But uh, it's fun when we do them all together because, obviously, we're all friends, and it brings more of the spirit of the TV show to, to what we're doing. Great, yeah. 
Um, I went to recent uh, podcast episodes, you know, specifically one with uh, with Lita Ford. Uh, you you guys got into a conversation about like the first pieces of music that really got you into music, you know, and that's something that I always like to talk about with people. And you mentioned that uh, Raspberry's record. Uh, mm-hmm. After you uh, caught that initial bug, what was like some of the first music related things that you did that would eventually get you where you're at today? Well, um, the first thing I did uh, at all related to the music industry was I wrote the high school music newspaper. uh, I'm sorry, the high school newspaper's music column. In my high school, we had a a school newspaper, and there was a a column in there uh, that was called Sharps and Flats, and it was... uh, uh, album reviews and I immediately applied for the position to write those reviews right. I didn't had much hadn't had much experience in, in writing but I wanted to just be able to share music that I like with people so as a result I uh, applied for that and, and got it and started doing album reviews in my high school newspaper uh, and I also while I was still in high school started working at my local college radio station I didn't go to the college but I had a college in town, and they wanted to keep the radio station on in the summer when the students took a break uh, that were going to the college, and they looked for volunteers that were willing to uh, to, to keep the, the, the radio station on, and I was one of those volunteers. So that was uh, something I did as well, and that piqued my interest in radio. And then I started working at a record store, and, uh, and same deal. Um, learned about music, got into music that maybe I wouldn't have been exposed to if I wasn't working in the record store. So things like that. And it was all really a big education for me early on. So the whole goal was how can I how can I take music that I love and share it with other people? So, okay, I'm working in a record store. I'm selling it to them. Yeah. I'm doing some writing. I'm writing about it. They're reading about it. Um you know anything that I can do to to, to uh, I've got this little radio show. I'm playing it for people. They're hearing it. Anything that I can do to kind of fuel the sale, uh, the the awareness for the music that I loved, was the only driver at that time. And then all those things just I kept chasing all of them. Eventually, I got onto a real you know a, a, a regular radio station as opposed to a small college station. Right. Built that up to where it was. Um, still do some writing from time to time. I've, I've written two books but I don't do that as much as I used to. Um, but, you know, all of it kind of fed into each other, and it ultimately led me to have a job working for a records uh, company and signing acts. So the experience that I had and that I've, I've had my entire life has always been uh, very diverse, very well-rounded. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of things that I've done uh, in the industry that they don't even kind of put together. Like they'll see albums that there's a credit on that says, you know, um, co-produced by Ed Trunk or something. And people will come up to me and say, Ed Trunk, is that the same guy as you? Or is Eddie Trunk? Is that the same guy? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I used to do. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've always worked in all different areas of the business and 
Uh, it wasn't until the early 2000s uh, when I first landed on, on TV and started working for VH1 Classic that things really started to take off because obviously when you, people start seeing you on TV, then it becomes a whole different thing. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, that, that was the, the, the last really big thing to have happened, uh, 2002 starting as a VJ on VH1 Classic. And then, of course, that led to uh, getting that metal show on the air, which was in 2008. Right, yeah, I think that's why I enjoy listening to your podcast so much is because you're coming kind of from the same ideal that I have. I'm I don't play instruments. I'm not a I don't I'm not I don't write songs. I'm not a musician or anything. But I love music so much that I want to share these things that I like with other people that might not have the access towards it. Sure. I mean, I I I'm not a, you know, as I said, I'm not a musician and uh I, I tried to take drum lessons for a little while. I wanted to, I, I thought it would be cool to to play, and I, I attempted it, but I just wasn't all that good. I didn't have the discipline. I, I didn't really, to be fair, I didn't really put much into it. I, I was very, you know, I, I wanted it to happen a lot quicker than I had the patience for. Yeah. Um, so then it was just a question of, and, and, and actually it's it, one of the one regrets that I have is that I never took the time to properly learn an instrument because I would love to, to this day, learn how to play guitar or something. I mean, I've had so many amazing opportunities to uh, jam with people, uh, major artists and stuff. But unfortunately, um, you know, I just, uh, I just don't know how to play a note. So that's why I got into doing, you know, what I do. Uh, but I wish I did take the time to learn. I wish I did have the discipline to learn. But when I realized I wasn't going to be a musician but I, I still wanted to find a way, you know, how can I still be around it? How can I still contribute to the, to the music industry? That's when I started looking at these other outlets. Definitely. Throughout all these years, you've, uh, you've interviewed a who's who of, uh, of just music artists and producers, musicians. Has there anybody that has eluded you over these years? Sure. Um, Jimmy Page, for one. Uh, I was close to having Jimmy Page on that metal show the last season that we shot, but he won't do anything that has the word metal in it. He's, he's, you know, he doesn't want any association with the word metal or the genre. And even though uh, that metal show is way more than just metal, as anyone will have seen who's watched it, right. he refuses to do anything that has the word metal in it. So... Uh, that's eluded me, even on the radio side of things. Um, Eddie Van Halen has eluded me. Uh, I did interview him once. Uh, that was done when Van Halen 3 came out, the record with Sharon. And it was done on the phone, but I would love to have a real in-depth interview with him at some point. But that has not taken place yet, and he's incredibly difficult to nail down. And um, and, and, you know, when the last Van Halen record came out, I mean, there was, they turned down a ton of major, major press. So I'm certainly not the only one when it comes to that category outside of a guitar magazine here or there. It seems like that's pretty much the only stuff he does. So yeah, there's a couple guys, but for the most part, you know, just having been in the business so long, uh, I've, I've pretty much checked off just about everybody else that I can think of that's, that's still alive. Um, but you know, uh, there are a couple out there that that still, for one reason or the other, uh, I haven't. I just haven't been able to connect with whether they're they're not doing press or they don't want to talk or they don't want to talk to me or you know, whatever right. the case may be. Uh, that's just part of the business. 
Right. And when listening to your show, I love that you always give the artists that you uh, are talking about or interview the credit they deserve. Nothing more, nothing less. You don't kiss anybody's ass, nor do you hate on them. Kind of, you know, talk about that approach on viewing uh, music, the music industry. Well, I mean, I think that you have to be honest with your audience. There's a strange thing that's happening in the world right now where everything is so insanely politically correct that if you say the one slightest thing that differs from what anybody else feels, there's always going to be somebody out there that's going to come after you and pounce and blow it out of proportion. And I just can't you – know, I'm, I'm just not going to – fall for that. I, I just think that that's ridiculous. I think that, um, it, you know, the audience that I have, the people that care about what I do, listen to my interviews and what have you, they, they do it because they know that it's going to be pretty straightforward. It's going to be pretty upfront. I'm going to pretty much call it like I see it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't understand, like, I have people all the time, fans or, or what have you, that will say to me, you know, hey, I really need to know what you think of this band, or I really need to know what you think of this album, or whatever the case may be. I really want your opinion. I really want to know what you think. Okay, and I'll tell them. And if it doesn't agree with what they think, <laughs> they go crazy, you know, and, and say, oh, you know, you're shit-talking a band, and you're, you know, you're talking shit, and you're saying... And it's just like, it's amazing to me that an opinion uh, in this day and age gets turned into, you know, somebody... Talking down about something. I mean, it, it. You should. Everyone should be entitled to have an opinion about things they like and don't like. And it's fine if you disagree. But there's a lot of people that. You know, everyone's so PC now that they actually just you know they, they get mad and they blow it out of proportion. They're so used not used to hearing something that's that's counter to what the the norm is. I mean. People jump on bandwagons with groups. I mean, it's immediately like new group comes out. Everybody, James Hetfield or Dave Grohl says that they like it. That means everybody has to say they like it. Right. Not true. If you don't like it, you should be able to say you don't like it. <laughs> I, I defy people all the time, you know, to tell me, you know, honestly tell me, is there a band? I don't care if it's your favorite band ever. You you can't honestly sit there and say you like every single song, every single note, every single record they ever created. Right. That's just not being honest with yourself. Right, right. The bands that I'm the hugest fan of, I love UFO. But I can honestly sit there and tell you that there are periods of UFO that I don't like. And there are records that they made in their career that I think are crap. They're still one of my favorite bands of all time. But, you know, everybody has those moments. So I think you should be able to say it, and I'll always say how I feel about things, even if they aren't the politically correct thing to say. And eventually, both the artists and the fans, I think it takes you a hell of a lot further. Because even though some fans won't like it, they at least know they're going to get the straight story from you as to how you feel about it. Right. And uh, I think that it carries you a lot further. And I learned that really early on from, from being a kid and listening to Howard Stern on the radio. Because back in the days when Howard Stern used to play music, he would he would sit there and he'd play a record and he'd come out of the record and be like, oh, man, I don't know what that was. I didn't like that at all, but I don't know, whatever <laughs> you guys think. And I was like, whoa, 
you mean every record they ever made isn't the greatest record ever made? Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> all the other DJs I'd listen to would be like, hey, that's the greatest new record. And I was like, wait a minute. How can every song this guy's playing be the greatest new record? So there's plenty of music that I play on my radio shows every week that personally, I, yeah, I think it's okay, or I'm not, maybe I'm not even so into it. But I let the audience decide. I don't let that be the only reason why. And, you know, I let them decide. Even There's plenty of people I've interviewed that I'm not a huge fan of. It, it, it's not about that. It's about getting the story out and, you know, trying to serve what most of my audience wants to hear and let them make the decisions if something's good or not. Make, let them make their own opinions. But the one thing I'll say is if you're going to ask me, I've always told people all the time, you're going to ask me what I think of something. Don't get mad at me for giving, it, giving you my answer if you don't agree with it. And sometimes it's just people still get mad. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, say someone comes on your show and they say something controversial about someone else who they've worked with or especially someone else in their band. How do you handle that? Do you reach out to that other person for their side of the story? No, only if it's unless it's an ongoing thing. I mean, what what happens with when there's these sort of wars that come up between bands? I I always tell the artists that all sides are welcome to come on, and that I do not take sides in it, and I I present everything. A great example of that would be what's gone on with Queensrÿche the last few years. Yeah. Uh, those guys, uh, the TV side, Jeff came on one season, the other guys came on the next season. Uh, that just happened on my radio show, on my satellite radio show t uh, last week. The last two weeks I've had different, you know, Jeff on one week and the other guys the other week. So I always give equal time. Let them all, let the, again, let the fans decide. The fans vote with their wallet. What do you like better? What are you going to support? All I can do is present you these guys and present you their music. Same thing when the L.A. Gun stuff happened. Same thing when, with what's going on with Rat right now. I mean, which is just a mess. But all of those guys have been uh, welcome to come on my show, and some have and some, some don't. The one thing that bothers me <clears throat> about that, you know, going back to Van Halen, it's funny because some people have pointed to the case that Sammy Hagar comes on my shows a lot and, th and, and the things he said on my programs that have been newsmaking uh, about his feelings about Van Halen and how they've treated him or Michael Anthony. And they're, well, you know, that's why Eddie Van Halen won't come on with you because you have Sammy on saying that stuff. And, and to me, that's utter bullshit because I can't, first of all, whether I agree or not with what somebody has to say is one thing, but I can only talk to people that will talk to me. Of course. Yeah. So, so the fact is that, you know, Eddie Van Halen doesn't speak. So you can't, if you can't, if you don't speak and counter it and give your side of it, then, you know, I can't control that. I can only talk to the people that will talk to me. And uh, same thing when it comes to Ace Frehley and Peter Christ versus Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Oh, well, Ace and Peter are always on your shows. Well, you know what? Paul and Gene can come on anytime they want. But but you're only going to, my audience is only going to hear one, only hear the side of the people that actually speak to me. So that's that's something that's out of my control. All I can do is say, you're welcome. I hope you come on. But if they decline, then yeah, people are only going to be hearing one side of a story. And I can't, I can't worry about that. There's nothing I can do beyond asking these, you know, these people, hey, the door's always open and uh, it's up to them if they step through it. Right. Say you're interviewing somebody that's kind of being difficult, you know, cold, short answers. How do you try to break that ice? 
Uh, just keep chipping away. I don't, I don't, haven't had that instance happen to me a whole heck of a lot, but you just, you have to just chip away. And then if they're just being incredibly difficult and you think there's intent behind it, behind it, then I, you know, I would just end it. I'd say, okay, great. You know, you're not interested in speaking. You're not interested in helping to promote your career. Thank you. I don't know why you did this, but I've got other things to do. I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I've, I can't even think of instances that happen. I can tell you one that kind of, surprised me a little bit is just 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 recently uh i had bruce dickinson i did a live podcast with bruce dickinson right right and people can hear it it's it's there and it's free and and all that and i did this with bruce and it was kind of strange because i don't know if he was just playing with me or what but the night before he was in my radio studio and he just kept talking and talking and talking and we had this great conversation um and then when he came in and and we started that podcast in front of a couple hundred people and a big audience in a big venue. People listen to that first that podcast. The first three four questions I ask him, he literally gives me one word answers. <laughs> and I was really kind of like, you know, just thinking to myself, is this guy this guy just messing with me, or is this guy being serious, here? or what? <laughs> and. Uh, you know, in, in front of a big audience like this, and this is how he wants to play this. But, you know, so that's kind of going on in the back of my mind. But if you if you listen, you know, I, I just – I didn't let it phase me, and I just kept hitting him with stuff and following up on stuff to the point where he realized, okay, it's, this isn't going to – this isn't going to you know phase me one way or the other, and you know I'll just keep asking you questions. You want to keep giving one word answers? We'll be done in two minutes. You know it's it's their thing. You know I I I, I love doing interviews, and I've been told that I'm good at it, and I appreciate the artists that take the time to do them. But 95 percent of the time, an artist is doing an interview to promote something. You know, it's their thing. They, they're trying to sell you something. They need to get the word out. I can think of on a handful of occasions in my life, in over 30 years of doing this, that an artist has come in and said, yeah, I just want to come in and hang out. There's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to plug. Right. So you're, you're serving them as well. I mean, you know, they, it, it's, really, it's really a two-way street. Yeah, it's good that they come on your show. It's good that the audience gets to hear from them and your audience likes these guys and all that. But you also have to remember that... Almost every time there's an ulterior motive behind it to sell whatever their current product is. So if they don't want to do that and they want to be difficult about it, then okay, you know. But but I, I think Bruce was just playing around. I don't think there was anything behind what Bruce did there. But it, it did take me back. And as as I got into the fourth question or whatever, and he he wasn't you know going for it. I was just like, okay, this is going to be a problem. But then he opened up and didn't stop talking. So. Uh, you just kind of have to roll with the punches, right? When you uh, you take a step back for a moment and you look at all that you've you've accomplished and you're still doing it, what really you know comes to mind about this journey that you've been on? Wow. Well, I, I never uh, I never really t you know take a lot of time to think about stuff like that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I suppose it's it's pretty amazing to me when I think about how long I've been doing it because I don't feel like I've been doing it this long. Uh, when I think that I started in, in the business really my first year out of high school in 83, 
uh, and that I'm still essentially doing the same things I was doing back then. Right. <laughs> granted, to more people and a big bigger audiences, but but still, I mean, it's amazing to me. I don't I don't think of it being that much time has passed. I still feel like there's so much I want to do, and I still feel that. I, I still feel, even though I'm not young, I still feel young uh, because being in this business and being around this stuff my whole life. So um, I guess just the, you know, the amount of time that I've put in. And I, I, I got to say, um, the connection I have to the audience and to the artists, uh, I, I just always say this, that I, I always just consider myself a fan. I don't consider myself a journalist. I don't consider myself anything really more than a fan at the end of the day. And um, to have the respect from artists and most of my audience that they care about what I say and that they listen to it and that they they want to engage with it and that they want to meet me or they want to take a picture with me or have me sign something to them or what have you, I mean – that that really is incredible to me, and I'm I'm very grateful for it. Um, you know, for Judas Priest to play a private show for me to celebrate my 25th anniversary on the radio, for Ace Freely and Peter Chris to reunite uh, and play together for probably the last time in their lives to celebrate my 30th anniversary of my radio show. I mean, all these things are kind of like, whoa, how, how the heck did this happen? You know, right. it's kind of hard for me to process some of that sometimes. Because, again, I just truly think of myself as just still just a fan. But, um, you know, it means a lot to me. I mean, to go to a show and have people uh, care that I'm there and, and, and want to meet me and stuff, it's, 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 it's pretty cool. And, you know, I'm really grateful for it, and I don't take it for granted. Right. Through all the stuff that I've done in my life, because most of my roots were in the Detroit hip-hop scene. Even though I liked everything else, I was more into the hip-hop scene. That was my roots. And I did a little thing, a little bit of everything, you know, in it. But it, when I got back to just being like, I just want to be a fan and kind of spread this music. I don't want to necessarily worry about the music business. Other people can worry about that. That's when I became a little bit more happier with it, more content. I was having a lot more fun with it. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, for me, what I do is certainly fun, and uh, I do enjoy it, but I will say that it, it's it's a job as well. I mean, I'm lucky that what I do for a living is also my passion. I mean, that's a great situation to be in. Very few people can say that, right. and it's a great situation to be in. But I do think that sometimes people don't realize that and listen, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't dig ditches for a living. Okay, so I, I'm not for a minute trying to compare myself to somebody who does real physical work, right. but there is a lot of work that goes into this. I mean, to me, this is an all-consuming thing. I mean, I, I am, I'm a one-man operation. I, I do everything myself, and uh, there, there, there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's very time-consuming. You have to stay on the ball. You have to keep up with stuff. You have to. Keep, you know, there's so many angles to, to all this sort of thing. And in my situation, I also have to support a family. You know, I have a, 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 you know, a wife and two kids. I have a whole family I have to support through this. So it's a two-edged thing. Yeah, it's what I love and all that, but it also has to 
it is also my business. It's also how I, I survive, you know, and uh, I have to always keep that in mind. It's funny, too, because people will often see that I travel so much because I'm constantly traveling. And they'll be like, wow, you know, you're going all these cool shows. You're constantly traveling. That must be amazing. Well, it is amazing, but 95% of my travel is related to my work. You know, I'm getting paid to, 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 to do something, uh, whether it's an appearance or whether it's a speaking engagement or whether it's a signing or whatever it is. So it's just like a band being on the road. You know, a band is on the road because they're getting paid to perform. That's how they make their living. So my my world is kind of complex in that sense that it's a lot of different pieces. Some things are, you know, some things are just stuff that I'm doing because I love to do it. Some stuff is work related, and uh, but but I but I'm at the center of it all, and I'm a one man operation. There's nobody else that's going to do it if I don't. So whether it's booking the shows and and uh, doing the interviews and you know making sure the bills are paid and booking the plane ticket and whatever it is. It's, it's great. I love doing it, but it, it is work as well. And I think a lot of people just think that it's a, a nonstop party and it's far from that. And, and again, I can't stress enough. I understand I, people out there that work way harder doing way more difficult things. But um, what I do is, is also, you know, still how I make a living. So there's definitely still an element of, of work. There's plenty of times where I'd rather, I'd love to just lay on the sofa and turn a game on and not do anything that day. But I know if I don't do it, it ain't going to get done. So I got to get hustling. And it's, it's always that way. And, and that's cool. You know, I, I like being my own boss too. Yeah. I, I totally understand that whole all consuming thing about all this, where, that, where you have to do so much of it by yourself. And with me, that's also affected like you know, certain relationships that I've had, not just like with friends, more like, you know, dating, females, whatever, you know, they don't get it sometimes. How are you able to balance that into a, you know, a family life? Well, I'm very fortunate that my, uh, my wife knows from the day she met me that I do not have uh, traditional hours. I don't have traditional schedule uh, she knew that from the beginning. I mean, I've been, in, as I said, I've been in radio for for 33 years. So anybody that's involved with anybody in radio knows that the the one thing that you don't have is a traditional lifestyle. You you work off hours, you work different hours, and and what have you. So uh, back to when we first met, that's the way it was. And uh, she's she's also. It's also great because she's on. She's she's not in the music business, and she doesn't really care a whole heck of a lot about it. Uh, she's not into the same music and the same bands, so it's not like there's some sort of guilt trip when I go to a show because she's not getting to see that band. She really doesn't, in most of the cases, care about seeing the band. <clears throat> She'd much rather stay home and take care of the house and be with the kids. So I'm lucky in that regard. It's a situation that she gets, and I am away a lot, and I am working all sorts of crazy hours. But then uh, there's also times where in the middle of the week I'm around, and most people aren't, and I'm, I'm home. So it's a mix of a lot of different things, and um, at the end of the day, it, it works. But you have to have somebody that's understanding to what you do. If you have somebody who just expects you to, you know, watch that 9-to-5 lifestyle expects you to uh 
you know, to be home at the dinner table at 6.30 and, you know, have weekends free every weekend to do whatever is planned or scheduled, then this, this, this sort of business is not for that person, and it's a relationship that's probably not going to work. But if, if there's an understanding, uh, there should never be a problem, and I've been lucky enough to have that. And you think of artists. I mean, there's plenty of musicians, some of my best friends, who are <clears throat> on the road 300 days a year. And they have families as well, but they have relationships that work because there's a trust and an understanding of, of what's going on. Right, yeah. That's, yeah. that's incredible that you have, you know, a wife that understands that from the get-go. Um, yeah, when, uh, looking back to your earlier in your career, you worked at Megaforce and you signed such acts as like Metallica, Anthrax, you know, help, you know, revive Ace's career. You know, looking back, how do you feel about that time? Oh, it was great. I mean, I was young. I mean, I was just a kid. I mean, <clears throat> to have done that at such an early age was pretty amazing. And um, I, I just, uh, I, again, it was just a combination of having been in the business for so long already. You know, I had already put five years in uh, in the business on various levels and started building a name back then. That That led to uh, me getting offered a job with a record company and, and getting involved at a very early stage like that. So um, it was a great time. You know, it was a lot of learning, and uh, it was great to be part of an emerging record company that was distributed by Atlantic and uh, great to sign an artist who, you know, Kiss was an enormously huge band in my world, and to be able to sign their lead guitar player to his first solo deal was a huge thing. I mean, it was a it's crazy, surreal thing. I mean, if you look at my inside the my first book, there's a photo of me signing Ace Freely. And uh, that's kind of crazy to think that eight, nine years earlier, I was at my first concert in my life, and it was a Kiss show. So uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. I'm, I'm kind of glad now when I look at what's happened to the music industry that I got out of that end of it because it's hard to make a living there now because the labels are so fractured. But uh, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it, and it was a great experience that I still call on from time to time. And uh, I, would, I wouldn't rule out doing it again at some point if it was the right situation, but the business has changed so much that I, I don't know what's left of it anymore. Right. And speaking of the, the business, I always think about something that uh, from a, I had this music appreciation class in, um, in college one time. And it was all about learning about, you know, the Baroque period, all those, you know, different sorts of, uh, you know, classical music from totally different ages of civilization. And I always look back and I'm like, back then a lot of musicians were patroned by, you know, you know, wealthy people. They're patroned by other people to just play, a.k.a. touring or doing shows. Like, you ever feel like in our modern age of music that the business or musicians got sort of spoiled for a little while, and now that it's kind of reverting back to, like, a thing where you need to tour and have merchandise, like T-shirts and whatnot, to make a living, um, that they, they just got kind of, like, spoiled for a little while? Well, I don't know. I don't know about spoiled. I think that... Um you know, it was just such a different business back then. It was just so, 
the business model back then was that you toured in order to sell records because that's where you made your money. Now that's the complete opposite. Now you, now you release records as a promotional vehicle to tour, which is where you make your money. Um, I, I think the record labels got spoiled because they were making a ton of money off of these artists and the markups were tremendous on CDs and stuff like that. Uh, so I think that the record industry has been turned on its head, but I think for the artists, it's just, it's just a case where they have to, the, 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 the business model has shifted. And instead of worrying about selling records, it's worrying about selling t-shirts and concert tickets. So it's just, uh, I think it's just the model has changed for the artist a little bit, whereas the labels who for a long time could just grease certain parties and get certain records played or get their video on MTV and it was a way you go and make a boatload of money, it's not that easy anymore. And they're starting to realize some labels, some artists are realizing, hey, we don't even need labels or we don't even want a label anymore. Uh, there's a, there's an, a few major artists who, with huge followings. They're just looking forward to being done with their record companies so that they don't have to sign a record deal. They'd rather sell a record direct. So I don't know if spoiled is the right word. <clears throat> I just think that like every business, it's evolved and changed, and it's a different thing now, and everybody has to figure out ways to make it work for them. Um, you know, I, a lot of it has to do with the fact, too, that people – Younger people don't buy music. They don't, they don't feel it's something they should have to pay for. I mean, that mentality is really dangerous. That's a huge problem out there right now. Uh, I, I don't know how that gets fixed. Uh, not only buy music, I mean, there's a ton of people that don't even want to own anything, not even a, a download. There was a time where everybody said, oh, you know, people don't want to buy CDs. Well, guess what? They don't want downloads either because now it's just, uh, just stream it. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, so so I, I think that the whole business of music has been devalued greatly. And I think that that's something that's got to be fixed and looked at because the mentality that music is just for free um, is really going to hurt a lot of people. And it already is, obviously. But uh, I, I think there's a, a lot of younger people out there that feel that there's no need to ever actually own music. What, what, why? We just stream it. Uh, I know in the past you've you know definitely been outspoken in regards to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and, and it's been back in the news recently. Uh, earlier this year, one of my favorite bands of all time, which is Def Leppard, and I really enjoyed your uh, podcast recently with uh, Phil Collins, uh, they said if they were ever asked, you know, because they're still not in the Hall of Fame, and if they were ever asked, uh, Joe Elliott said that they would uh, you know politely refuse, just like Sex Pistols did. Uh, what's your, you know, thoughts about, you know, these days with the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Do artists or bands even care about that? I think a lot of artists who aren't in say stuff like that, and then when they actually get called for the induction, they end up showing up, <laughs> and uh, and and they, 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 you know, they they realize that it's something they should do for their fans, and you know, Kiss went in there kicking and screaming and had every bit of drama you could imagine, but guess what? They still showed up. You know, if if Paul Stanley and, and Gene Simmons had that big of a problem with it, they would have stayed home, and they still showed up at the end of the day. So I think that there's only very, very few exceptions where people actually just don't show up, and they take a pass and don't go at all. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. It's their thing. They should decide what they want to do. I don't, I don't feel you know, there's any right or wrong answer to it. But 
I think that most people can say these sort of things when they're not in, but as soon as they get the call and they realize, well, it's a pretty cool night for our fans and it's not a, you know, it's something we should probably show up and do and it's a good publicity thing and, and what have you, that they, in the end of the day, will show up and do it. I think most do. Yeah, that's what also Joe Elliott said, that they would, that Def Leppard would do it if their fans really wanted it. And, of course, their fans would want it. I mean, you know, that's the thing. People say to me all the time, uh, oh, why do you bother talking about this thing so much? Why do you bother slamming it so much? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. That's not true. People do care. If nobody cared, it wouldn't be every year when they put out the nominees, it wouldn't be all over the news. If people didn't care, the program wouldn't be broadcast on HBO. So, if you know, if truly nobody cared, then I see the point. But people do care. It's a huge mainstream operation. And it is the only, you know, th that's the other thing all the time. Oh, why don't you just do your own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's not that simple. Uh, you know, somebody wants to give me a few million dollars to start it up and, want, you know, great. But <laughs> it's not that simple. I'd rather see the one that exists be done right and treat the bands respectfully and call them out when it, it has to be done. So, um you know, I think that that it it does matter, and it is it is a, a viable thing, and it is something that everybody knows about. Just like the Grammys, the Grammys are utterly clueless when it comes to rock music. They've been for over 25 years when it comes to hard rock music. But you can say, oh, why does it matter? It does matter. The Grammys are broadcast on CBS network television. You know, people who aren't that into music. We'll watch that. It's a huge mainstream thing. It's like the Super Bowl of music. People who don't watch football all year watch the Super Bowl. So as a result, you know, how about getting it right? That's all. Make it right. So, so that's the thing. And I think that most of these artists realize that. When they get the call, they realize it, and they'll step up, and they'll, they'll do it. And I don't begrudge them if they don't. I have no issue with it. I thought it was wonderful what Axl Rose did. Because Axl Rose sniffed that whole thing right out. He knew that that was about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just trying to get a reunion going at that time. So I don't blame him at all for not doing that. Just, but I also don't blame the other guys in Guns N' Roses for showing up and accepting it. It's their decision. It's a personal thing. But for people who say to me, oh, it doesn't matter. Why do you even bother talking about it? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Why does every news organization cover the, cover the announcements of who they're going to nominate? <laughs> That's a big deal. So that, it's just ridiculous to say that about it. And uh, that's why I think at the end of the day, the artists will, who say stuff like that will ultimately end up showing up for it. Great. Yeah, and um, yeah, to just you know, close out this interview, um, what, I I, what I really enjoy is about your podcast is, and it was, it was along with other podcasts too, more like Mark Maron's, The Nerdist, a few wrestling podcasts, um was i was you know just starting to you know i was always someone who was in the music journalism you know the actual writing of music journalism q a's blah blah, blah 600 word profiles blah 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 all that stuff and you know after a while i was starting to get really bored with it and then i had like a few years recently where i was just in a shitty relationship with this girl so I was like figuring out, okay, what do I do next after I get out of this relationship? I'm bored with, uh, I'm not satisfied with the music journalism. And I started listening to podcasts. And your podcast was one that really stuck out with me. I was like, 
oh my god, this is kind of like, I'm already kind of doing this, but he's making it a little bit more clear about what I want to do, and I want to start in this medium a little bit more, you know, transcend from being, you know, just, you know, on paper, because there was a lot of stuff that people were telling me that was good only if spoken from their mouth, you know what I'm saying? And I, you know, I just want to thank you for having such a great podcast, uh, that, and just, you know, your radio in general. Um, I just think it's a very, just great example of how you should do it. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you. I mean, I, I, uh, I resisted doing a podcast for a long time. Uh, I was asked about it a lot and I, I passed on doing it for a long time only because I didn't feel that uh, doing two radio shows a week, I thought that it would be a little bit redundant to also do a podcast. You know, I was like, how am I going to interview somebody three times for the same thing? But uh, there were some things that appealed to me about it later on. And I was approached by a company called Podcast One who, who distributes some of the biggest ones out there, and they were interested in doing one with me. And once I met with them and they told me that there's, you know, there's ways that you can, they can distribute it and get it around the world and that it's, it's something that people can listen to anytime they want and there's no restrictions and it would be free, but it would be advertising based. People wouldn't have to pay, but I would make a little bit of money for my time that I put into doing it. So when it all kind of came together, I said, okay, I'll give this a shot. And I do have a lot of content. I've got older interviews, I've got new interviews, I've got a mix of things. And then the biggest appealing thing to me about doing a podcast is the fact that I like to talk to artists and I like music at times that isn't right in the world of what my audience would expect from me. So there are artists that I can't have on my radio shows really because they're not a fit, but I can have a place to do something with them on the podcast. And that was a really interesting idea for me and outlet for me. So if you've looked at my history of the guests on my podcast, a lot of it is artists that would be on my radio shows or have been, but there's also people like Pat Benatar on there. Uh, there's also people like record producers on there. Uh, that sort of stuff is really cool to me because it's stuff that I can only do on a podcast because it, I don't have to make sure that it fits in with a certain format. So it's been fun. It's been extremely successful. People really like it. I hear from people all over the world that enjoy it. And, you know, I like the fact that it's archived and people can go back and listen to old ones. Or, uh, I mean, there's this huge fight that just blew up between Dee Snyder and Paul Stanley. And that originated, if you trace it back, to my podcast right. uh, with, with Dee Snyder. And what's funny about that is that that podcast happened like two months ago. But I guess Paul Stanley just got around to hearing it um, and decided to, to lash out about it on Jericho's podcast. But, I mean, I always thought that was one of the cool things about a podcast is that they're up there, and if you missed it, it's archived. You can go back and get it, and they kind of have a much longer shelf life. So, um, you know, I, I, I do the one a week. Whether I ever do more than that or not, it depends. On, you know, it depends upon my schedule and how it goes, but people people enjoy it, and I enjoy doing it. So thanks for saying that. Oh, no problem. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, you know taking time out and you know, chat with me. And uh, yeah. Thank you, Kelly. Best of luck to you, man. And it's good to talk to you, and I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, no problem, man. You have a good day. 
So that was the interview with Eddie Trunk. It was so great to talk with him. I'm always learning something new about any of the artists or bands or musicians that he uh, interviews. So it was so great to kind of pick his head for a little while about interviewing in the music industry and whatnot. If you'd like to uh, support the Fresh is the Word podcast, you can go to our website, which is freshisthepodcast.com. And there's a link at the top that says support the podcast. And on that page, there is a PayPal link that you can donate to. Or there is an Amazon link on there that you can use anytime that you want to purchase anything on Amazon. Use that link, and after you make your purchases, Amazon will shoot some commission back to me. I'll just go to help the show. Also, I definitely appreciate all the listens, and if you definitely want to share the links to the website, preciousthepodcast.com, or any of the links on SoundCloud, that's definitely appreciated and will definitely help support the podcast. You can also reach Fresh is the Word on the social medias at Instagram and Twitter at Fresh is the Word 1. That's Fresh is the Word number 1. And on Facebook, you can go to Facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast and give us a like on that page. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, so go ahead and search Fresh is the Word on there. Go ahead and subscribe to us. And it also would be very helpful if you go onto iTunes and give us a five-star rating and throw some comments on there. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Fresh, 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 fresh